1: Welcome to Workers' Comp Matters on the Legal Talk Network. My name is Alan Pierce. I'm an attorney with Pierce Pierce and Napolitano in Salem, Massachusetts, and we are delighted to bring you another edition of Workers' Comp Matters with a returning guest, Peter Roumanier. Before we get to Peter and his essentially a review of his career as a journalist and author and writer on workers' comp issues, I want to just have you uh, visit our uh, sponsor, PI Now. If you need to find a local qualified private investigator anywhere in the United States, visit PINow.com to learn more. Peter Romanier is uh, a, a colleague, a friend. He's someone who has been involved in the field of workers' compensation, not as an attorney and not as a claim representative or claims handler or risk manager. He's been a journalist and consultant in the field of risk management with a special focus on work injury risk. He originally started his career as an entrepreneur. However, his work evolved uh, into consulting and writing, and he works primarily as a freelance journalist. He is a graduate of Harvard. He earned his BA and MBA at Harvard. And after an early career in general management consulting, he joined a workers' compensation consultancy in 1986, and there he assisted employers to better respond to work-related injuries, and he went on to develop one of the first ventures to improve quality of medical treatment for injured workers. He has been a regular workers' compensation columnist for leading risk management and workers' compensation publications since 2003 through the present. And during these years, he's written over 250 columns, dozens of in-depth articles, special reports on work injury. He addresses things such as immigration trends, automation, the internet, aging, and uh, the aging workforce, healthcare and workforce demographics. He's been a recipient of numerous national awards. And most recently, he has been writing for workerscompensation.com. He lives in Vermont. And... um, He has announced that after a very long and prolific career, he is retiring, and uh, while that gives me a a bit of professional uh, sadness, uh, I expect that we probably haven't heard the last from Peter Peter Romanier, he has a deep interest in this field. So, Peter, welcome to another edition of Workers' Comp Matters, and I'm, I'm really very excited to be able to talk to you and perhaps have you give us an overview of your lengthy career and, and the observations you've made and maybe a few predictions for the future.
0: Okay. Thank you. And thank you for having me, Alan. I really appreciate it. We could start off this conversation by looking at where we are now compared to where we were, let's say, 30 years ago. 30 years ago, medical issues were a lot simpler. They've gotten a lot more complicated.
1: All right. So let's, you know, I think beginning with 30 years ago is probably a good place to start because that puts us right into the mid to late 1980s. And that was a time for those of you who have studied workers' comp or been practicing um, in that era or have listened to other editions of workers' comp matters. We know that the, the era beginning in the 1980s, Uh, followed the recommendations of the uh, uh, National Commission of Workers' Compensation Laws that issued its report in 1972 calling for major changes. And because it takes time to effectuate change in the the workers' comp system, especially among uh, the 50 states, and this has to be done state by state and legislatively, it really wasn't until the 1980s that uh, we saw a particular sea change from the way workers' compensation claims were handled, what was covered, what the benefit levels were, and what's happened since then. So let's let's delve back to uh, the 80s. What have been the major themes that you might want to talk about that we have dealt with over the last 30 years? And from there, we can probably go to where we are now and where we're heading.
0: On medical issues, Alan, um, we have an underlying issue of the aging of the population and of the worker population and the increasing morbidities. I would imagine about 1985, the average age of the injured worker was probably around 37 or 38. It is now 47 years old, uh, 47. So you're having more workers with more comorbidities of different kinds, diabetes, obesity. Smoking has always been there. You also have at least two major innovations in medical care. One is the great proliferation of surgery back surgery, shoulder surgery, knee surgery. And the second major innovation was the introduction of painkillers in the late 1990s. And it's been a, a hard process for both the injured worker, the attorneys involved, the insurers, and the employers to understand what is best surgery, what is the best use of pain medication, and how to deal with comorbidities.
1: And, you know, when you talk about the aging workforce, whether you do or don't have diabetes or we're we're not a smoker, I think you can say for almost everybody, certainly in their 40s and 50s and 60s, we all have some degree of underlying degenerative joint disease, arthritis, even if it's asymptomatic, we are all burdened with that. And uh, from what we have seen is when injured workers who have an underlying condition such as um, arthritis and they injure the knee or the back of the neck or the shoulder, you then run into the issue on an aging worker is how much of the resultant disability or need for treatment is due to the arthritis or due to the um, acute injury, which may have passed the acute phase. And as a result, um, there's been some issues regarding the definition of causation. And maybe you may want to touch on that a bit.
0: Well, and look at causation from the outside. I'm not a warrior in the process, which would be an attorney trying to figure things out with a judge. I have enormous respect for attorneys insofar as they are trying to deal with this causation issue, but it is a it is a serious problem, and it, and it uh, gets into the question, which is another underlying question, which is the isolation of workers' compensation outside all the other. Benefit programs for health care and for um, a disability. Because we are treating, we have to treat the whole person in workers' comp, even though legally we're dealing with issues of excessive causation and apportionment. But we, sooner or later, we have to deal with the whole person. And this is going to be a problem going forward, I think, as the workforce even gets older and we have more arthritis a very good example, diabetes in other. We have more of a common set of risk issues that deal with work injuries or recovery from work injuries and also management of productivity outside the injury the work
1: injury area. I agree with you. I agree with you. And and again, um, from a legal perspective, in terms of causation, a lot of legislators and legislatures have amended uh, their particular state's workers' comp law to move away from the older doctrine of aggravation of an underlying condition to put the work injury must be the major cause or predominant cause or the substantial contributing cause to an injury, which makes those aging workers who have underlying arthritis or underlying disease processes have a greater burden of proof to show ongoing relationships. So I agree with you that um, we are seeing a lot more surgeries, we're dealing with problems of pain management and the complexities that go along with dealing with injuries in an aging workforce. One of the other things I think you touched upon in some of your writings is the fact that there has been a reduction an injury frequency. There's been a de- decline in work injury and work injury risk. And I guess, I guess that's a good thing. We certainly you know, don't want to see a situation where uh, we are going back to the old days where we were dealing with unsafe work uh, places. So we are seeing some progress having been made. Uh, but perhaps you might want to touch on the reduction of um, injuries and workers' comp claims generally.
0: There's a question as to whether there actually has been a, a reduction in uh, injury frequency, which according to both uh, the Bureau of Labor Statistics and data from the insurance industry, suggests something like a frequency reduction of 3% a year going for about 25 years. Is it actually, some would argue, due to more employer intimidation and uh, employer fear of filing a claim the fact is that in Western Europe, there have been substantial reductions in frequency uh, over the last 25 or 30 years. So I think it's a general issue dealing with a greater improvement in automation and work practices. This is affecting the workers' comp uh, insurers because they are making huge profits over the last five years in particular. And part of the reason for that is that they're pricing their insurance given a certain level of injury frequency, but they're getting this dividend every year of a 3% reduction in injuries. Uh, that that undoubtedly adds to their profits.
1: You know, and I, I'm certainly not an apologist for the insurance industry, but the insurance industry is one half of the equation in a workers' comp claim. Uh, is that something that eventually will even out because uh, insurance premiums and insurance rates are usually set by prior three-year, five-year experience. So if as we move down the road of a declining uh, injury frequency, might we not see then a decline in, in the, the rates and the leveling off of the profits? Because one thing I've observed in my 40-plus years of practice is, is that everything is cyclical in workers' comps. It, it, the uh, cycles might take longer to, to run through, but uh, eventually things change.
0: But, you know, I don't think we're going to see the cycles that we've had in the past of insurance pricing. And that is because the insurers have become much more professional and disciplined in the management. There's a great difference between an insurer in the 80s and 90s and an insurer now. I used to say rather atribically that the insurance industry is the revenge of the C student. Um, but actually, there's some very smart people in there and the system's a lot better. What we are experiencing is a year after year reduction in injury risk and i consider that will be the case in the foreseeable future there's nothing that is going to su- that suggests that's going to change and it means that the the cost of insurance of workers comp to employers is going down and this triggers a an issue which i think a lot of your listeners are interested in is that have we gotten to the point where we ought to pay a lot more attention to improving benefits, where benefits need to be improved. It's something I've been writing about uh, a lot over the last five years, that there are problems with benefits, uh, the solution of which is actually to increase benefits.
1: Yeah, we did. in fact, I think we did a show maybe a year or two ago called Benefit Adequacy, and you made the case that there has been a general uniform decline in benefits across all jurisdictions, primarily beginning in the 1990s, attributed in large part to an increase of benefits in the 80s and the inability of the system to have absorbed all of that sudden change quickly, and that this decline in benefits is not limited to the durations or percentages of a weekly pay, but you focused on, and you you might want to uh, add to this, the other losses associated with a, a short-term or a long-term claim, uh, the increase of what you call a deductible or a waiting period to start to collect your benefits, as well as the loss of other fringe benefits, seniority, health insurance, and the fact that even if you go out at 60 or 66% of your pre-injury wage, Actually, with the economic loss to the family, it's much more than that. So um, perhaps you may want to um, touch on that again for us.
0: Alan, I think we need a lot more research, and I think the research can be done by several people who have access to data. One is uh, state workers' comp agencies can examine what is the actual financial impact of work injury on an injured worker, both in terms of temporary uh, disability and permanent. The other area, the other group is is the climate bar community, uh, which is in intimate contact with hundreds of thousands of injured workers every year. And climate bar members can, I think, are in a position to document better. What is the nature of the financial impact on their
1: clients? When you mention that the claimant bar is 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 the single group that has access, at least, to the stories of our members, I think this goes hand in hand with the fact that I can't think of any other group that can speak up for the injured worker community. Uh, it used to be, as workers' comp developed and evolved. Uh, at a, um, through the 20th century, we had a, a much more active, powerful, collective bargaining and union position in terms of representing workers. And I think we've all seen in the last generation the number of workers that work under a collective bargaining agreement or a part of a labor union. And we don't have that type of clout in the local state legislatures coming from organized labor because so much fewer of the workforce are union. And um, as a result, um, the claimant lawyers, you know, really are put in the unique position of not only having to represent the interests of our clients in a particular claim, but try to band together to effectuate positive change or to keep negative change from occurring.
0: Alan, you nailed it on the head. I think the, the public wants a system of workers' comp, they spend very little time thinking about it, but when they do think about it, they want a system that says, is the injured worker taken care of? Is the cost relatively good? And is the overall system fair? Okay? It's a very non-legal, philosophical question. Is the system fair? And with the decline of unions, we have seen, I think, that's been part of a decline, I believe, and uh, and this may be rather controversial, In the ability of state legislatures and governor's offices to manage this very important protection. I want to give you an example, uh, which uh, is is maybe a little controversial, which is one of the areas that laws have been very weak on is mental health coverage. uh, For example, post-traumatic stress disorder coverage or so-called mental mental claims. Well, there's been a surge in the last five years of presumption laws of uh, supporting or uh, recognizing PTSD. But if you look at the laws, they really are designed for the firefighters or for a broader group of law enforcement people. They are completely missing school teachers. And one of the great ironies of the last few years in legislative reform is that the state of Connecticut, which was the scene of the most horrific attack uh, on a school system in the country, Passed a law uh, allowing, authorizing presumption for PTSD for firefighters, but completely ignored the school teachers. And I think that if we had a stronger union representation in the state house, we would not have this unevenness of benefits accruing just to a very small segment of employees. It would it would be benefits that would cover all employees.
1: I agree, and and, um, you're correct. The so-called compensation for mental-mental or mental stimulus, mental diagnosis is, is absent in some states or very limited, certainly treated differently. Uh, as well. And yes, we are seeing at least some recognition that first responders, people, uh, you know, like it all came out of 9-11. It came out of, unfortunately, the school shootings and some of the others, that people that are legitimately psychiatrically harmed in the workplace, but for the passage of this legislation, go without any type of uh, recourse. I think at this point, we're going to take a brief break. And when we come back, we'll continue our discussion, perhaps looking where we are now and where we may Be going into the future with our guest, Peter Romanier. We'll be right back.
0: Does your law firm need an investigator for a background check, civil investigation, or other type of investigation? PINow.com is a -a one-of-a-kind resource for locating investigators anywhere in the U.S. and worldwide. The professionals listed on PI Now understand the legal constraints of an investigation, are up to date on the latest technology, and have extensive experience in many types of investigation including workers' compensation and surveillance. Find a pre-screened private investigator today. Visit www.pinow.com.
1: Welcome back to Workers' Comp Matters uh, and my guest, Peter Romanier. Peter, we were talking about the decline of uh, the power of labor unions to help effectuate change in the state legislatures and with the executive uh, offices uh, around the country. That doesn't mean that they are not a helpful ally. I mean, uh, we rely on our brothers and sisters in uh, the labor movement all the time. They are supportive of legislation uh, that will benefit their membership and our clientele. But um, the the numbers don't lie. Uh, There has been a um, significant decline in those employees that are covered uh, by uh, the power and the the abilities of uh, collective uh, groups such as a labor union to effectuate change. This has led to, uh, among other things, uh, a phrase that has sort of come into general usage, um, at least among those of us who focus on injured workers, and that is the phrase race to the bottom. Give us an example of what that, what that phrase means to you.
0: Well, the bottom and the top is traditionally or conventionally measured by the by looking at the biannual ranking of workers' comp costs by the state of Oregon. And so anyone at any time can take that ranking and say, we in this state are such and such, and we want to go lower. Nobody's saying we want to go higher. So there's a predisposition... And
1: they want to go lower because they're competing. Right. Right.
0: Now, there's a question as to why do you keep on going lower when the costs are pretty low to begin with? And one of the issues here is that we do not have very good information, as clear information on the toll of, on injured workers of injury. The toll is a lot higher than the cost of workers' comp, so that uh, the legislature may be delighted, the le- state legislature may be delighted that they're, costs of workers' of go down incrementally compared to other states. So that's for the employer. But the cost to the worker is still quite high and may actually be getting higher and higher. So we need to know that. We still do not have, 30 years after a major crisis in workers' comp in the late 80s, we still do not have verifiable, reliable information on the duration of disability. We still do not have what the long-term impact of work injury is. The studies that have been done indicate that a work injury that may last a year and is supposedly resolved within the workers' time system, let's say, through a settlement or a return to work, actually may have much longer negative impacts. It may go out for five or ten years because of the disruption, disruptive effect of that injury. We don't know that. We need to know that.
1: Where do we begin to address this? Is this by anecdotal evidence? Is there, uh, do you see the need for example, another national commission? Do you need, do you see some other uh, a mechanism to, to address this uh, in ways that uh, haven't been addressed thus far?
0: That's a really good question. I have an answer, which may be too simple for the case of most people. What, but what we need is we need a few governors. We need a few governors. We We may need some chairmen of Senate committees in the state legislature. We may need research outfits, some of which are doing some very good work. But what we really need is a governor. We need several governors to say, we are going to have a workers' comp system, a work injury protection system, which is viable for the 21st century and which is going to deal with issues such as gig workers, temporary, you know, um, independent contractors. It's going to deal with, the, with an up-to-date model of what an injury is, for example, mental stress. It will deal with the growing, paradoxically growing amount of worker protections outside work injuries, such as parental leave and disability leave. We need some vision at the state level, and that's going to come from the governor's office.
1: Yeah, and um, along that uh, along that line, we have we can't overlook the role that increased medical costs are playing as a driver of costs. You mentioned that um, you know insurance companies are making record profits, and again, I can only go by you know what I read as a layman, but that seems I don't think anybody is really disagreeing that the that right now workers' comp is a relatively profitable, if not the most profitable, line of uh, insurance, but. You know, we, we have a medical crisis, a medical care crisis that goes far beyond workers' comp. I mean, look at our, our federal government can't deal with uh, the Affordable Care Act and whether to tear it down and replace it. We don't know where that's going. And, uh, you know, and certainly the, the growing costs of medication, of tests, of surgeries, that's money that is being paid out of the system, not necessarily going into the pockets of injured workers. And for that matter, it's also leading to a lot of litigation. Is, is something, you know, is a case going to be brought within the workers' comp system or could it be brought and paid for through health insurance or Medicare or some other means? So we have the whole issue of shifting the costs away from workers' comp to other medical um, providers simply because of the difficulties of accessing workers' comp. So how do you see the uncertainty of just health care as impacting um uh, Workers comp going forward in
0: the last five years or so even maybe ten years there's been a great moderation in medical costs inflation what has happened in the personal health insurance is the deductibles have gone up a lot so even though you may find let's say three percent improve uh, not improvement a three percent growth in total medical costs you may have a ten or fifteen percent cost in uh, increasing cost to the to the to the household because they're They have a higher deductible. And the workers' comp, as you pointed, is is that it's 100% paid by the employer or by the insurer. The insurers have, I think this is quite commendable, they have invested a lot of time in understanding surgery, understanding opioids. This will be an area of considerable controversy because it is an area of controversy within the medical community. You take the medical doctors alone, put them in the room, and they'll fight over each other about surgeries and about opioids. So we cannot expect everything to be the peaceable kingdom within the workers' trump system. That just is going to be a ongoing area of dispute, and the best we can do, I think, is hope for better research, better demonstrations of best practice, and um, outfits like them. Workers' Comp Research Institute of in in Cambridge, which is an example of a number of outlets that do some very good work and research.
1: Yeah, no, we've done uh, several shows with um, different researchers from Wcri, and and uh, you're right. It, it it may be data that is difficult to get because the data in in these cases has to come primarily from the workers' compensation payers so the the insurers, and some of this data, some of this you know the these costs uh that may not be captured by data have to come in some other way whether it's anecdotally or you know through looking at workers comp through a different lens um so where do you see us having this conversation five or ten years from now hopefully we'll both be uh, well and, and and vital and and still interested uh, five or ten years from now but you know if we were having this conversation uh, let's say a decade from now, would we still be talking about workers' comp or do you think we'd be looking at some other mechanism or form of dealing with the effects of work-related injuries?
0: Why would 10 years from now, I think we're going to be seeing perhaps some some fundamental changes in the structure of workers' comp within the context of total worker protections. Let's take the area of independent contractors, gig workers. There's no point in trying to solve the problem with gig workers of coverage and workers' cost without, cover, without solving it for unemployment compensation and for the uh, large and increasing number of worker benefits uh, that are being legislated now over the last five or 10 years, family protection, family leave protection being another one, being one of them, for example. So there may be In effect, a new kind of grand bargain that will be introduced uh, in the 2020s, which is going to bring together all the major kinds of employee protections and say, we want these to happen. We want these protections to happen. We're going to have to redefine uh, employment in a certain way. We're going to have to redefine the way in which you you are eligible for coverage in a certain way. And that should be done all together with all these benefit systems together. And I think it could happen in Congress. It could conceivably be a new uh, federal commission that will look at this, but i also go back to to the states. And the states have been the laboratory of worker protections going back um, 80 years. And so I'm looking forward to a state that will take all these exposures of workers and say, let's reason them all together so that the public will find that the system is fair and is working and is relatively economical. And I think that if we didn't have, if we had a Democratic, I think we have either a more moderate Republican president or a Democratic president, there's an opportunity to do that. I think there are a dozen or more states that can undertake this tomorrow. And it would be, in effect, a new grand market.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're yeah, right. Uh, you know, the workforce is um, the definition of who an employee is or isn't has has changed markedly, and it's going to continue to change as these alternative forms of, I don't even want to say employment, of work relationships uh, continue to evolve, and 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 uh, the definition of uh, the traditional employer-employee definition doesn't fit. It's like trying to put a, an oval peg in a round hole. It's looks and feels like an employment situation, but it isn't in many ways. And of course, workers' comp depends on there being an employer-employee relationship. So what we're starting to see with the gig economy to deal with these injuries is you've got hybrids that are coming up. There's new lines of insurance that are starting to be marketed that perhaps a a Lyft or an Uber driver can purchase to protect himself or herself in the workplace. It may give them some limited indemnity benefit and some medical coverage, but not within the workers' comp system. And uh, so we will have either no coverage or parallel coverage of a different sort than workers' comp. And, and uh, as our employment model, our work model, continues to change and more people are under the other umbrella, then you have two or three competing systems and perhaps no system.
0: Uh, let me pick that up. Right now, we have the UAW strike. And one of the issues in the UAW strike is the enormous differential between certain kinds of employees. The American the workforce system does not work well when you have different classes of workers doing the same job or doing similar jobs. And we have this in manufacturing, for example, in, in automobile workers, and you have this in the way of building protections, the private sector protections, such as such for Uber drivers, uh, which are different from workers' time. Now, you... You may need to change the workers' comp protections. That should be – everything should be on the table. But we do want in our country to have a fairly uniform, wall-to-wall agreement on what work relationships are. I like that term, work relationships. What is a work relationship? The way we define it, are we covering only 80% of our workers or 99% of our workers? The American public wants 99%, and we work well with 99%. We are always aspiring in America to be a classless society. We have not gotten there. We are not getting there now. We will never get there entirely, but that's the aspiration. And I I think you'll remember, I mean, one of the things i I, delighted with my, all the experiences I've had with attorneys in workers' comp has been one of a great deal of learning on my part your colleagues, both defense and claimant, understand how the real world works hundreds of thousands of times a year. And with that knowledge, if we can deploy that as part of building a grand bargain, going through, as I said, a government, uh, through a state initiative or a federal initiative, I think that's going to be essential. And so five or 10 years from now, I would look forward to seeing a new grand bargain being built around a definition of work relationships, which cover all protections, is affordable to the employer, uh, protects the worker, uh, with and that can only be built with attorneys getting involved.
1: Well, you've thrown the gauntlet over to us, and that's a challenge. That uh, hopefully my colleagues and and believe me, my colleagues or a lot of my colleagues have recognized this, and are, we are doing what we can in that regard. And I uh, I understand that, Peter. I want to, on behalf of everybody that has listened to you, read you, met you, listened to your your presentations in person. I want to thank you on behalf of everybody in the industry for devoting your career and and having the um the wisdom to kind of see beyond the trees and the whole forest and uh, we're going to miss you hopefully uh we will still hear from you and you'll feel free to weigh in as as much as you feel you want to or can but i again i I can't let this opportunity go by without thanking you for many years of inspiring and um, provoking thoughts and uh, ideas so, is there any last words you might want to have to say about your, about, about your career? Any, any If you can sum it up in a sentence or two.
0: Well, I would say that I've learned several things in writing. I've, I've learned several things in writing. And one is that the reader is really smarter than me. So I have to pay close attention. I can't take the reader for granted. And the other thing is I write for what uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson called the unseen friend. And so I have an enormous number of unseen friends, some of whom I actually know, many of which I do not know. And I'm deeply appreciative of the decades I've been able to write to them. And um, I think I will show up, I'm not sure where, in Workers' Talk in the future. But I thank you very much, Alan. Personally, we've been great colleagues over the years. And I look forward to talking to the future.
1: Oh, absolutely. So, Peter, thank you very much. And to those of you who listen to Workers' Comp Matters, thank you for listening. Tune in to our next show and go out and make it a day that matters. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for listening to Workers' Comp Matters today on the Legal Talk Network, hosted by Attorney Alan S. Pierce, where we try to make a difference in workers' comp legal cases for people injured at work. Be sure to listen to other Workers' Comp Matters shows on the Legal Talk Network, your only choice for legal talk.